I'm about to bring us our Bible reading, which will be from the Gospel of John, and we'll be starting this new sermon series in the book of John, which we'll be continuing over the next few months. Uh, The passage we'll be reading today is John 1, verses 1 to 18, and you can find that on page 1062 of the Blue Bibles, which you found on your seats. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screen behind me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Well, good morning with everyone. Really great to see you on this warm summer's day as we kick off a new series in the book of uh, John's Gospel. And what we've just heard, I think, is one of the greatest executive summaries ever written. As John outlines where his account of Jesus will take us in what we know as John's Gospel. Now, if you're not familiar with uh, executive summaries, I am. Turns out I'm horrible at writing essays much better at writing reports, and I know that one of the great skills in report writing is to write a really good executive summary, which is the kind of first page which lets you know kind of what's coming in the depth of the report. I used to work in corporate finance and I knew that uh, the bigger the deal we were writing up and the higher up it had to go in the bank, uh, the more important the exec summary was because the higher reports go, the more chance that a decision maker will only read. Uh, the executive summary. So it's quite a desirable skill uh, in the corporate world. And what John's doing as he kicks uh, off his gospel, I think these first 18 verses that we've just heard really are the sort of the big picture outline of where this whole gospel uh, is going to go. Uh, So there's uh, a lot to convey here concisely. And uh, hence my claim, I reckon we're reading one of the best executive summaries 
ever written because it packs such a punch in what's at the heart of the Christian faith. Uh, So much so, Jamie, who uh, oversees our preaching program, gave himself an opening sermon on John 1 to 18 back in October 9 last year, unpacking kind of the missional imperative contained in this passage that we as believers are to bear witness to Jesus, the light of the world. Uh, He also preached on it uh, evangelistically and invitationally at our Christmas services just gone. And he's asked me today to preach on the divinity uh, of Jesus contained in this passage and then Jamie will be back next Sunday to preach on the humanity of Jesus contained in this passage. Uh, Such a great passage of scripture uh, that it is all from John 1 to 18. So my task a little uh, differently than we usually have is to kind of preach a bit more sort of topically, theologically on the divinity of Jesus today. And I think it's time very well spent, as these 18 verses are meant to kind of shape our expectations on what to look for as we read and work our way through the Gospel of John so that we can get the very best from it. So whether you're here investigating Jesus for the first time, Church and Jesus for the first time in a while, a fairly new Christian, or have been following Jesus for decades... I think this passage does have the capacity to kind of blow our minds a little. It contains great news for all of us this day and indeed every day. So with a slightly different approach, I want to focus in on what this passage says about the divinity of Jesus, why it's important and why it's such great news for us all. Uh, you'll see an outline of where we're going in the leaflets today and it'd be great to have John chapter 1 Uh, open in front of you, which you can find on page 1062 of the Blue Bibles on the seats. Now, just as you turn there, I think it's worth saying from the outset that it should be expected that the claim that God came to our world retaining his full divinity and at the same time was fully human is a hard thing to grasp. Of course, we should expect it to be contested in our world, and that scepticism will arise. That even the believing heart can appreciate it, love it, yet still never really quite say we totally get it, kind of, yeah, nah, yeah, kind of, it's mind blowing. <laughs> yet it is at the very heart of the Christian faith and what distinguishes Christianity from every other belief system in the world. Jews and Muslims, for example, believe in one God of unlimited power, as Christians do. Yet Christians believe that this God chose a time and a place to actually rock up and walk this world, to reveal himself to us and to display his great love for us. Uh, Whether it's Buddhism or the multi-world God of the Roman Empire in Jesus' day or Hinduism this day, they all paint a sort of picture of unknowability about the spiritual realm or the the so-called gods as being sort of distant, impersonal, unknowable. Whereas what John outlines in today's passage is that Jesus has made God known to us. The truth behind our world, how it was created, how it works, has been fully revealed because God came in person in Jesus to illuminate us. So let's get to the claims of Jesus' divinity 
that John kicks off with, and as you'll see, he gets straight to the point in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So already in one verse, our heads are swimming. How is it that this yet unnamed Word of God, we're told, was both with God and was God? Already hard to grasp from only one verse in. Yet for the Jews who had grown up with the Old Testament scriptures, they would have known that God created through his word, delivered people through his word and revealed himself through his word. So referring to the word of God as a person, verse 2, he, being the word, was with God in the beginning, makes total sense as John refers to God's greatest act of self-disclosure and saving power displayed as he sends the person of his own son to the world as he kind of opens up his exact summary here. But John just kind of, before your mind can even fully appreciate any of those things, the big claims just keep on rolling, verse 3. Through him, again referring to the word of God, all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. So in three short verses, John has claimed that the Word of God was both with God, was God, was eternal before our world came to be, and that this Word of God is a person, and that our whole world was created through him. Every person, every mountain, every animal, weather system, every star in the sky, every windstorm in Mars that we can watch via rovers now on the internet, all of it created by the Word of God. And as verse 14 tells us, this eternal creator person of God, the Word, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. As the Apostle John then reveals in verses 6 to 8, John the Baptist was kind of his warm-up act, pointing to the Son, the one who comes full of grace and truth, the Word became flesh, Jesus Christ, verse 17. And his great achievement, is verse 18, at the end of today's reading, is to reveal God to us, as we're told no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who has made himself, uh, who is himself God, sorry, got that totally wrong, who is himself God, and, and is in closest relationship with the Father, He has made him known. Jesus, the one and only Son, and the word John uses there kind of conveys the sense that Jesus is radically different, without equal. Himself, God, has made God the Father known to us. Now, this isn't just John getting carried away using some artistic license He's setting us up to read his gospel, looking for evidence that these astounding claims are true. Uh, Jesus, of course, on the slow burn over the years together, brought his disciples to this conclusion. And John is simply conveying this to us. So we'll look briefly at a few sort of highlights woven into the shape of John's gospel as we can sort of see the big picture of how John leads us there. So let's come forward to John uh, 14 as Jesus comforts and instructs his disciples on the night before his death. 
He says early on in the chapter, you know, great funeral passage that he's going on ahead of them to his father's house to prepare a place for them. And no one comes to the father except through him. But then verse 7, he says rather cryptically, and I'll uh, keep Mel Mel fairly uh, busy here on her birthday with a few (laughs) slides up on uh, screen. Happy birthday, Mel. Uh, John 14, verse 7, Jesus says to his disciples, if you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, understandably, Philip doesn't quite grasp it and the conversation continues about how Jesus is in God the Father and God the Father is in him. But for now, let's just try and grasp what Jesus is saying here. He's saying of himself that he is the exact representation of God's being, so much so he can say with confidence and clarity, if you really know him, you know God the Father as well. Then later that night, after promising the disciples that uh, after his death, their grief will turn to joy, he prays to God the Father, giving his disciples a great insight into their relationship, but also great clarity about his divinity. Now, Jesus wasn't sort of always kind of uh, open about this in his earthly ministry as if he could have given a, you know, simple nine-minute sermon that would have explained it as he preached to the crowds. Because his, I mean, his disciples were only sort of struggling to grasp it after years of seeing Jesus' power and the great signs displayed through his earthly ministry. Yet in this prayer, Jesus, God the Son, is open with God the Father and lets his disciples and us listen in, uh, which is up on screen. Uh, Jesus says, Father, so this is the night before he died, about to go to the cross, knowing this was all about to happen. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him all authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Jesus here is speaking of the glory of his appointed task to head to the cross to save us, that the Father may glorify him in this act, and he the Father. And that this path laid out returns him to this glorious state that was always his with God the Father before our world came to be. It's an astounding claim. One last stop in John, however, we come forward to John appearing to Thomas after his resurrection to quell his doubts and to bring belief. After being allowed to touch Jesus, to feel his wounds inflicted on the cross, Jesus says to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. And the response comes in chapter 20, verse 28, again up on screen. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas has finally arrived at the point of true understanding 
that the man standing in front of him is the creator God. In verse 29, he continues, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Looking down through the passage of time, through all who would come to believe in Christ. And saying that this blessing for those who have given themselves to Jesus is ours. And then John sort of, you know, he's a very gifted, not only exec summary writer, but the way he shapes his gospel is brilliant. He arrives in after showing all these miracles and signs and great teaching of Jesus. He explains why he's sort of arranged it in the way that he has, what stories he's included. To arrive at his kind of stated kind of arrival point, he says uh, in verses 30 to 31, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, There's much more to be found, of course, that we'll work our way through in John's Gospel. But what I wanted you to appreciate for today is we're set up from the start to be looking for evidence that Jesus is God, the Word became flesh. So that we arrive at the same conclusion Thomas does, seeing Jesus both as our Lord and our God who came to give us eternal life. Now, of course, it's not just John who claims the divinity of Jesus. All the biblical writers affirm it. Uh, Peter affirms it at the opening of his uh, second letter, uh, referring to Jesus as our God and our Saviour. The Apostle Paul refers to Jesus as Messiah, God over all, Romans 9 verse 5. The New Testament authors all use Old Testament passages that clearly spoke of the Lord Yahweh, the personal name of God, and use them to speak of Jesus as the one who showed us that God has now come and fulfilled the many promises for us laid out in the Old Testament. And of course the prophets themselves laid out this expectation that one day God himself would arrive to be with his people. And for a church that spent all of term four last year in Isaiah, we need look no further than the first passage we looked at in that series, Isaiah 40, again up on screen, Uh, thanks Mel, where Isaiah said that upon God's arrival there'd be, verse three, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. A famous verse that Bible writers uh, spoke about, John the Baptist's role, again noted in today's passage in verse 6 and 7, that he is a witness testifying that the light of the world, our God, has come. There are no sort of great treaties or arguments, you know, sustained arguments for the divinity of Jesus in the letters of the early churches we have in our Bible simply because it was uncontroversial, self-evident, plain to see for all those who witnessed Jesus' life and ministry. So it's simply asserted and assumed right across the scriptures. 
And John wants us to see this for ourselves in his gospel. And if you'd like to read more deeply on this, I've uh, referenced a chapter uh, from a theologian I really appreciate, John Frame, in your outline. Uh, It's chapter 28 in his book, The Doctrine of God. It's uh, not, I wouldn't put it in the light summer reading, uh, like the books on the bookstall today, but it is uh, an exhaustive and thorough treatment of the topic. And you can give away one chapter of a book under copyright, so if that kind of interests you, I've got a few copies uh, up the back if you'd like to take that today. But for now, I want to go back to, one, uh, to John 1 and see the blessings that our God-man Jesus brings and why Jesus, being fully divine God, is such great news if you're seeking Jesus, why it's great news for us corporately as a church and us personally this day and every day. So let's look back at what John tells us in his exec summary in verses 4 and 5. Speaking of the word become flesh, Jesus, John says, verse 4, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, I think John is not only linking the very special life given in creation to humanity, but I think he's also setting us up to see the light Jesus brings as he brings his salvation. So after the most famous verse uttered by Jesus in chapter 3, for God so loved the world uh, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, Jesus then goes on to say, and this one's up on screen, thanks Mel, in verses 19 to 21, this is Jesus speaking, he says, this is the verdict, light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have, been, that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So darkness for John is just not an absence of light. It's an active work of evil and human sin thriving and multiplying in the darkness. In this picture of humanity fearing the light because of sin, yet John paints the word became flesh as this light shining in the darkness, an irresistible and untamable force that will not be overcome. Whether we lament the depths of our own sin or feel the weight of our world burdened by its addiction to its sins and darkness, we read here that Jesus will not fail in his task of bringing salvation and light and understanding to all who will come to him. In verse 9 of today's passage, John refers to the word became flesh as the true light that gives light to everyone, being unrecognised and unreceived by so many, including his own people, the Jews. Yet we're told for those who did receive him, such is the power of Jesus' work, he gives the right to become children of God. Now, right is a very strong word implying absolute authority and certainty, or absolute power and certainty. 
that all who come to Jesus, the light of the world, can never be without a shadow of a doubt that we are God's and will remain his forever. Because as John will reveal to us in his gospel, Jesus deals with our record of sin on the cross, a new dawn breaks as Jesus brings the light of an offer of free salvation to our world. As John goes on to say, Jesus brings this undeserved gift to us. It's what grace is, an undeserved gift. He describes twice in this passage of that grace and truth coming to our world through Jesus. These are but some of the blessings our divine God-man Jesus brings to us. But here's the thing. For many of us who have been followers of Jesus for a while, or perhaps for some of our youth that have grown up in a Christian home, it's easy to hear of these things and simply think, oh yes, we're just running through the basics today, you know, solid start to the preaching here, yes, you know, well done, we're off, uh, off in John, and fail to be awestruck by such amazing claims contained in these 18 verses. So, if you're a follower of Jesus already, I have a task for you to do this week. I actually do it quite regularly, and it's just to stand in a crowd somewhere and stop for a moment. And just observe the people walking by at the shops, or the people wandering around an open plan office, people cheering at the cricket, central market, wherever you are. And then consider that maybe one out of every 20 people you can see, maybe it's a shade higher, go with one in 20, it's a round number, but only one in 20 know the Creator God. Only one in 20 have had God made known to them by Jesus and have received him as their Lord. Only one in 20, and whatever crowd you're imagining or where you might stop, I like the crisscross um, intersections in the city, you know, where the lights go off and everyone walks from every different direction around different... That's my favourite place uh, to do this. (laughs) But think, only one in 20 crisscrossing in front of you there can claim the unshakable right of a place in God's family forever who know of God's grace and truth. And as you see people walk by, you won't know their stories. But each is a person the same as those of us who are followers of Jesus. Each will have hopes and dreams, worries and concerns, parts of their character that reflect the image of God in small ways and each will have a record of sin just like every Christian does. Yet 18 or 19 out of that 20 simply do not know the divine creator of the world that the Christian can claim to know has been revealed to us in Jesus. Many that wander past you will have a vague hope of something beyond this life. Uh, Some will proudly declare there is none and just try and scratch out meaning and joy from this world as it groans along in suffering and pain. 
And once you kind of get to that moment, say to yourself something along these lines. I do it. I say to myself, because of God's extraordinary love shown to us in Jesus, I belong to the light of the world, Jesus. I am a child of God forever and need not fear death. God has shown me grace and revealed to me the truth of how the world really works because he's revealed to us the one who is the all-powerful creator through Jesus. My record of sin, which is long, has been dealt with by Jesus and I never need fear it being held against me. I am a child of God forever and need not fear death. God has shown me grace and revealed to me the truth of how the world really works because I know the Creator. Now, I find doing that regularly provokes two responses in my heart. The first one usually goes along the lines of something like this. It's very humbling. I think, why of all people, me, would God show such kindness? And it fuels a very humble and joyful thankfulness to God. And secondly, it puts fuel in the tank of my commitment to mission, which I feel like I burn through fairly quickly. (laughs) And it puts fuel in the tank of me wanting to share with as many as possible that Jesus isn't just some likeable guy with a few one-liners, like so many think. He's God, fully divine, fully man, part of our three-in-one God who stepped into this world out of extraordinary love to reveal God the Father to us, bringing grace and truth to our world that is so weary of sin and death. The message John outlines so beautiful in what I hope you'll come to appreciate is a very thoughtful, subtle, intentional and purposeful account of Jesus' life, death and resurrection in his gospel is great news this day and every day. So if you're here today just checking out who Jesus is, I really hope that you're at the very least struck with the boldness of John's claims about Jesus, that he is the word of God become flesh, who is both with God and is God, with the Father forever revealing the creator God to us. That's an extraordinary claim. That while many have and do reject him, that for those who do receive him, he gives and offers to all the right to be children of God with, uh, to be children of God with him forever. So I just pause there because there's a Jesus is at both the one same, that one and only God, different status to us, but gives us the right to become children of God. If you're thinking through these things, can I challenge you uh, in the coming month to read all of John's gospel? 
I meant to have one to hold up. They're up the back. We have little John's Gospels to give away. We really like the World War I replica ones. They're pretty cool little, uh, they're easy to pocket, but kind of tie us back into a different generation where every soldier going off to World War I would put a John's Gospel in their pocket. It's, uh, it's brilliantly presented, and it's just the straight John's Gospel uh, from the NIV, the translation we use. And then I'd encourage you, after you read it, why not go through it again slowly with someone who already follows Jesus? We have a great resource called uh, The Word One-to-One. I think I've got a slide there to pop up on the screen now. Thanks, Mel. Um, I'll just say for now, it's a really easy way for both you and your Christian friend to read through a gospel and to grasp the sheer audacity of God's plan to reveal himself to us and to save us from ourselves, bringing light into our darkness. And you've got to ask yourself the question, if Jesus really is God and wants to reveal himself to you, and John writes to show this to you, well, what better thing can I do than read John's account in 2023? Uh, For us corporately as a church, this reminder of the divinity of Jesus, I think, can correct our thinking how we see ourselves and what we aspire to in so many different ways. And of the nearly endless applications, one I'll choose for today is a reminder for us as a local community of God's people to be bold and courageous as we look forward together. It's Jesus, our creator God, who is chief shepherd of our church that we look to, to lead us, that we pray to, we ask to provide everything we need as a church for the life and ministry he has appointed to us. Uh, We're approaching our 10th birthday next month as a new local church. We started here in 2013. And I must admit, I never would have dreamed that when we started that Jesus would have enabled us to have planted two new churches since then. Uh, My other than Jesus' boss, Paul Harrington, the head of the Trinity Network, said to me a while back, he said, Matt, you know you've never failed at anything yet in ministry, maybe you're not pushing hard enough. (laughs) I thought he was joking at first too, but after my nervous laughter trailed off into an uncomfortable silence, I realised he was trying to make a point. (laughs) Jesus is Lord of all. (laughs) He's God made known creator of our world. We should pray with boldness and courage for the mission he's given us. We don't want to make the mistake of presuming we can just come up with any plan we like and that God will bless it uh, and that our plans will somehow be made part of his plans. But with Jesus as our chief shepherd, even if we push and are bold and courageous in something, that ends up with an, as an epic fail from a worldly perspective, Jesus will still be Lord of all in heaven. We're still his children forever. He'll still build his church. He'll look after us and teach us through our failures. So why be fearful? I realised that one morning walking to church, probably seven or eight years ago, I was feeling the weight of, you know church sort of running, getting up, you know, feeling a million troubles. And it just dawned on me as I walked to church, we used to live over at Torrance Park, I'd walk here every uh, Sunday morning, I sort of thought, even if this whole thing just closes and finishes, 
God will still love me just the same. I'm still his child. Jesus will still build his church. So why be fearful? Be bold and courageous. On the mission front, I feel like probably the last six to 12 months, I've um, been a little frustrated on just a bit of a drying up in my personal life and I think in our church life together on the number of people that we've seen coming to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour. There's some wonderful exceptions to that uh, and you'll know some of the stories if you know me about that because they are the most fantastic things. But as I was pondering my frustration and mission, I sort of thought to myself, well, why have I stopped doing the basics? Praying for God to provide people, just for us as a household, to share our life and gospel with and for many more in our community to do that. And before, not after, before I'd been godly and disciplined enough to transpose that thought into a bold and courageous prayer, God has provided, just in recent weeks, two very great special relationships uh, to our household with kind of God-given, presented to us opportunities to share the gospel with people. And to me, it's just been a reminder, this is not about me, it's not about us. Jesus is Lord, he is revealing himself to his world. We can pray to the creator God who brings grace, truth and life to our world to enable us personally and corporately to be bold in mission. Now, I'm all for thoughtful, prayerful, careful planning together as a church, yet I want to say that with Jesus we could probably afford to be bolder in our prayers on the number of people that we'd love to see come to know Jesus uh, that are already in our lives and are already in our community. We could probably afford to be bolder in how many missionaries we want to send out. We've just sent out our first homegrown missionaries, the Purdies, last year, but why not be bolder on the number that we'd love to see in 10 years' time? We could afford to be bolder on how many new church families, gatherings that God in his great power might enable us to start. Because Jesus is no dead figurehead. He's the living creator God who even the wind and the waves obeyed him and he's the saviour of the world. And on a personal level, having a relationship today with our God-man Jesus is also incredibly good news too. Whatever you're facing in 2023, financial worries, major health concerns, trouble with the kids, youth, trouble with your parents, Uh, it could be trouble in the significant relationships in your life or the absence of them. We can bring our prayers and requests before the divine creator God who has all power. And it's not like we have a genie in the bottle that we can rub to get us out of trouble but we do have Jesus Lord of all something far better the way I phrase that made it sound substantive way better than genie in the bottle we have Jesus Lord of all who holds all things in his hands in my experience there have been some things I've uh, prayed to which the answer has been no or seeming silence for now but also at the points there's been some astounding yeses where the divine one, Jesus, has answered some very bold and amazing prayers. 
And even in the times of suffering and pain, in the times of unanswered prayer for now, Jesus has still been there teaching us, me, things about himself, who I am, who he is, and what's truly of value in this world. So in 2023, why not err on the side of boldness in your personal prayers as well as our prayers for our church corporately about the mission God has given us? When I'm praying something that I think is a bold prayer, I always kind of say something along these lines, God, I know you're not a genie in a bottle and I don't presume to know your will, but I know you love me and it's okay to ask and I actually want to express my trust in you that you can do this. And then I pray boldly to the creator, sustainer and saviour of the world, Jesus, fully God and fully man. Jesus' humanity is also great news for us, but I'll leave that for Jamie next week. But for now, I'll pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your own Son into this world who has been with you since the beginning, since before the beginning of creation. We thank you that he has been with you and at the same time we can declare as equally divine as you. And we thank you that that's such great news that you didn't leave us wondering what you are like, but through Christ, your Son, you have made yourself fully known to us. Uh, we pray uh, for all those who seek you this day, uh, that they may find you uh, in your words and that something like John's Gospel uh, might be powerfully used by your Holy Spirit to reveal yourself and bring faith and eternal life and a right to become children of God to many. And we pray as a church, Lord, that um, we might not just assent to these truths of your divinity and of your great uh, power, but that as we pray to uh, our Lord and Saviour Jesus, uh, we are expressing our trust in the all-powerful Lord and Creator uh, of all things. Please help us uh, to be bold in our prayers to him and in his name. And we pray that 2023 might be a year marked by uh, not some great uh, mustering up of uh, faith in our own strength, uh, but of us simply praying boldly to you and seeing you work very powerfully in our lives, through our sufferings, through our joys, uh, through the times of boldly and wonderfully answered prayers and in the times of waiting in silence from you as well. Please sustain us, please build our trust in you and please empower us for the mission you've given us uh, to bear witness to Jesus, light of the world. It's in his name we pray. Amen.